Let's turn to prayer and ask God for his help as we turn to his word, remembering that every word of God is flawless and for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, for ourselves now, as we turn to your word, please would you give us real confidence in what you say, please would you grow us in love for you, please would you grow us in openness before you, and please would you grant us real confidence, if we're trusting in you, that our sins have been paid for and forgiven, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was as if the rain clouds had cleared and the sun had come out, as if someone had just given him back all of his energy. Uh, there he is, whistling a happy tune, bouncing along the road without a care in the world, skipping up steps like he's 10 years old again, seeing blessings everywhere. That's how I like to imagine David on the day he wrote Psalm 32, because he is just full of joy. We heard it in the the reading from Psalm 32. Listen again to some of what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. David is just brimming full of joy. And I guess the question for us is, as we see David and we hear him, how can we get some of his joy? What is the key that's going to unlock for us more joy in our Christian lives? And I think Psalm 32 gives us an answer. It's not the only answer that the Bible gives uh, to that question. There are other things um, that will enhance our Christian joy. But Psalm 32 tells us, if you like, the core ingredient, the core ingredient for joy in the Christian life. It shows us what we simply have to do if we're ever going to experience true joy. Well, what is it? Well, verses 1 and 2 give us the headline answer. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. What is the key to joy? The key to joy is to be totally open, honest, and transparent about our sin before the Lord, that we might know the full blessing of sins forgiven. The key to full joy, joy in the Christian life, is to be fully open, honest, and transparent before the Lord about our sin so that we might enjoy the blessing of full forgiveness. David said in those verses, blessed is the one in whom there is no deceit. Not describing the perfect person who's never lied, who's never deceived, but describing the person who's who's given up trying to deceive God and who has come clean about their sin to God and so enjoys the blessing about their sin to God and so enjoys the blessing of sins forgiven. The key to joy in the Christian life 
is to be totally open, transparent, and honest with the Lord about our sin so that we might enjoy the blessing of full forgiveness. That's the headline to this psalm, but that wasn't always David's way of thinking. This is a lesson that David had learned the hard way. Because in verses 3 and 4, David tells us about his year of silence. A hellish and miserable year when he tried to cover up his sin. This psalm is linked to David's great failure when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and she becomes pregnant and he tries to cover it up. And you'll know, of course, that he brings Uriah back from battle to make it look as if he's the father of this child. And when that plan fails, David has Uriah murdered, all to try and keep his sin covered and quiet and silent. And for months, David simply refused to come clean before God. No doubt David made excuses to himself. Listen, David, Uriah was a soldier. He knew the risks. You know, if he hadn't been killed this time, he'd have been killed sooner or later. So, you know, go easy on yourself, David. David, stop feeling so bad. Look, look at some of the other kings in some of the other countries. Next to them, you're a saint. David, given all that you've done for this nation, a little sinful indulgence is the least you deserve. And if some people get hurt along the way, well, look, that's the way it is. No doubt David made, made excuses. In any case, he keeps silent. And I guess he's doing that to try and protect himself, to try and make himself happy. Of course, the irony is that he couldn't be more miserable as he does that. Verses 3 and 4, as David reflects on that year of silence, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. My guess is that publicly, um, David kept waving to the crowds and smiling for the cameras, but inside, well, it felt like he was being eaten up. Behind closed doors, it was all sighs and groans and sleepless nights and foul moods. He says in these verses that his life was like a never-ending trek through the desert, his strength constantly sapped by blazing heat. That's how it felt for him. David's year of silence was a year of hellish misery. Why so? Well, we're told in verse 4, because day and night your hand was heavy on me. In other words, during that year of silence, the Lord was doing his very kind but very painful work of prodding David's conscience, convicting him of his sin. One writer, Christopher Ashe, in his book, Pure Joy, says this. He says, the pain of a guilty conscience is a flash of hell in the present. A little taster of where our sins will take us 
unless we confess them before the Lord. A flash of hell in the presence, in the, in the present. And here we have the Lord prodding David's conscience. And for him, it was hellish. He was doing that not out of hatred for David. You know, if you're going to disobey me, I'm going to make your life a misery. He was doing it out of love for David to push him into the light so that he might come to know and experience the joy of sins fully forgiven. And of course, we know that when Nathan the prophet confronts David with his sin, that was, that was it. He couldn't bear the pain of a guilty conscience anymore. And finally, after a year, he comes clean before God. Verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. How does the Lord respond to David's confession? You've made your pit. You can lie in it. No. Do you really think that by saying sorry, everything can just be somehow okay between us again? No. Give me 10 years of perfect obedience, and then we can talk. No. Verse 5, David said, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the guilt of my sin. You forgive the guilt of my sin. For me, I find this really helpful just to see how this psalm describes the different stages that David goes through. At stage one, David keeps silent. He tries in vain to keep his sin hidden. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, a wedding or something like that where you've, you've spilled food or coffee or something like that down your shirt or down your dress. And for the rest of the day, you're constantly trying to cover it and hide it. If you've got a jacket, you're just you're wearing it like this just to try and cover it up. Everybody can see the stain, but you're trying to cover it up. Or if you've got a dress, maybe you've got a scarf on, you're just letting it hang loose over the stain, in vain trying to conceal it. Everybody can see it anyway. Well, that's David at stage one, trying in vain to cover over his sin. Stage two, verse five, I did not cover up my iniquity. He bears his soul openly before the Lord. He takes the jacket off, if you like. He uncovers the stain of his sin before God. Stage three, we see it in verse one. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. In other words, God covers his sin for him. David tries in vain to cover his sin himself. doesn't work. He uncovers his sin before God. God doesn't leave it like that. God covers his sin for him. And of course, as we move to the New Testament, Paul picks up these verses, showing us that God covers our sin by clothing us with Christ's righteousness, Romans 4. You know, we all have that tendency, I think, to keep silent before God, to hide our sin. I guess we do that because we fear being exposed uh, like that, uh, the jacket or the scarf. They can be like our excuses. We hold on to them tightly. We don't want to let them go. 
We want them to cover our shame. We think to ourselves, if I let these go, I'm going to be exposed as sinful before a holy God. So I'm going to hold on tight to these excuses. But actually, as we see here, there's nothing to fear. Because when we uncover our sin before God, He doesn't leave us exposed. In His kindness, He covers our sin for us, clothing us in Christ's perfect righteousness. David said, I I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the guilt of my sin. And so having told us his story, David then turns to us, the reader, the listener, and teaches us the lessons that he learned. And I think he gives us two main lessons. Firstly, in verses 6 to 10, he says, confess your sin to God while you've got the chance. Confess your sin to God while you've got the chance. Verse 6, therefore, he says, in the light of my story, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David says to us, given that God is so willing to forgive and cover our sin, do what I did eventually. Do what I did and bear your soul to him. Come clean before him. Let all the faithful pray to you. But just note the words that follow that because they're really, really important. Let all the faithful pray to you, confess your sins before God, while you may be found, while you may be found. Because there is a time coming when God will no longer be found. That is, when it will be too late to confess our sin, when that window of opportunity to receive forgiveness will be shut. Speaking of our death or of the day of Christ's return, whichever comes first, when that opportunity for, for forgiveness will, if you like, expire. In verse 6, David talks about the rising of the mighty waters, looking back, of course, to Genesis 6 and the flood when God judged the world and flooded it. It looks forward as well to the day when Jesus is going to come back and judge the world again for its sin. And so David says, pray to God, confess your sin to him while he may be found, while you have the chance, so that on that day you might be like Noah and his family, safe in the ark protected from God's just judgment. David is telling us that it is just so important to confess our sin before God, to be open before him about our sin. And David says, I guess this, he says the same thing, but in a different way, from a different angle. In verse 9, he says, Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and brittle, or they will not come to you. It says, think of a stubborn donkey. Maybe you can think of a a stubborn donkey somewhere around where you live. Uh, You set out some delicious food for it in the barn. Uh, You lay down some fresh hay for it, for it to lie down. It's going to be warm in there. It's going to be comfortable in there. But can you, for the life of you, entice this donkey to come out of the field and into the barn? No. 
And so you have to use bit and brittle. You have to use those things in its mouth to push it and shove it and force it out of the field into the barn. David says, that was me. I was that stubborn donkey. I needed the Lord to push me to confess my sin. And he says, don't be like I was. Don't be like me, preferring the woes of the wicked to the Lord's unfailing love, choosing hellish misery of a guilty conscience and the fear of exposure and the exhaustion from trying to pretend the whole time, choosing those things over the sheer joy of having sins forgiven. Don't be a stubborn donkey, David says to us. Don't be like I was. What might it look like for us to heed this lesson? It might well be that as you think on your life, you have never confessed your sin before the Lord. Or maybe you have confessed your sin, but it has been ages and ages, years and years. You might think to yourself, well, look, after all of this time, the Lord wouldn't want to hear from me. Or he'll shame me if I come to him. Or he'll shout at me for taking so long. Or it's just easier if I just don't. Well, I'd say, come and, come, and, come and talk to us. Come and talk to myself. Come and talk to one of the other elders. Come and speak to someone that you know. But essentially, what we'll say is that the Lord is only too happy, only too happy, delighted to offer forgiveness, to cover our sin. We don't need to grovel. We don't need to make up for it. We just need to confess. And as he did with David, he will forgive our sin, he's promised. Or it might be that you do regularly confess your sin before, the, before God. Well, I think this encourages us to keep on doing that and to keep those short accounts with the Lord. For those of us who are believers, we have a new status. We've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are right in God's sight. And we've just got to see that that is a permanent thing. Uh, that doesn't change every time we fail. It's not that we lose that status every time that we sin and that we regain that status every time we confess. No, we are, if we're trusting in Christ, we are permanently always right in God's sight, always clothed with Christ's righteousness. That said, as believers, even though our status doesn't change when we sin, our experience of God, our fellowship with God does. You know, when a child takes their felt-tip pen to the furniture against their mother's instruction, does that child cease to become uh, their mother's child? No, they're always the child. But does that child need to confess what she's done to clear the air? Yes. David left it about a year before clearing the air, before coming clean. We all have that tendency, I think, to hold on to our sin, to wait until we feel less bad, to put some distance uh, between us and our sin. But of course, if we do that regularly, we spend most of our lives trying to avoid our Heavenly Father. That just doesn't make sense. Now, this encourages us to keep short and honest accounts with the Lord.
But then the second lesson that David wants to teach us is with knowledge of sins forgiven, to rejoice, to rejoice in sins forgiven. We see that right at the end in verse 11. David says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Because when, like David, our sins are covered, we'll want to sing for joy. I'm sure you've heard the story of Billy McCurry. You're probably more familiar with him than I am. If not, when he was a a child, um, during the Troubles, his, his father was shot dead uh, because he was a unionist. For, that was, that was the, the sole reason. Anyway, filled with hatred sometime later, Billy got his own back. That is, he took a gun and shot dead an innocent nationalist. He goes to prison. The impact, well, both families is massive. The impact on his own family is huge. He tells the story of how growing up, his mum just loved to sing. Everywhere she was, around the kitchen, in the living room, wherever she was, she, ju- she would just sing. Of course, when all of this happened, the singing stopped as grief and sorrow and then bitterness set, set in. Anyway, in prison, Billy becomes a Christian, a genuine Christian, sincerely. And in time, because of him, his, his mother also starts coming along to church. And in time, she too becomes a Christian. And she says to him, look, I now know what you talk about when you speak about sins forgiven, because my sins are now forgiven too. What change did he notice in her life as a result? She begins to sing again. And when, like David, our sins are covered, we'll want to sing for joy. So let's be those who feed on this truth, who meditate on it, who think on it, who let it sink in, that we might want to sing for joy. But I just want to f- finish with this, because there might just be some who, as, as you think to yourself, you think, look, I have confessed my sin, I've turned away from it, I've repented of it, uh, but I don't feel forgiven. Uh, perhaps the memory of uh, really big sins in your past still plague you. Um, it might be that every day you still see the ongoing consequences of that sin. You've got to live with them. And you hear what's being said, but all the same, you don't feel forgiven. You don't feel clean in God's sight. Well, if that's you, I think David's example here can really help us. Because David really did commit huge sins. Adultery and then murder of one of his men who was so loyal to him. David was monstrous in what he did with Uriah. And throughout his life, he continued to face the consequences of, 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 of that sin, of those sins. A rebellious son, civil war, threats to his life. And all of that stemmed back to his sin, even though he was forgiven. He faced the ongoing consequences of his sin. And yet, after confession and repentance, he knew, he knew that his sins were forgiven. You forgive the guilt of my sin. How was he so sure? Because he knew of the character of God. 
And so let us too allow God's word on this just to sink in. Like we were thinking about earlier, every word of God is flawless. God always means what he says. And what does he say to us? If we've confessed our sin, if we've turned from it. Well, let me just translate verse one for us. Your transgressions are forgiven. Your sins are covered. God does not and will not count them against you. And so if that is you, as best as you can, forget about them. And as we're instructed in verse 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful character, that you are full of mercy, abounding in steadfast love, that you are ready and willing to forgive, that you want us to come to you, that you might cover our guilt and our shame. And we pray, please, Heavenly Father, that we might be those who come to you regularly, we are, you are flawless, we are flawed, we sin, and we keep sinning. Yet thank you, Heavenly Father, that you want to forgive us. Thank you that you want to refresh us in our forgiveness, that we might experience the full joy of sins forgiven and restored relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.